This is 50 miles per hour. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on. Stay on or get off. If it drops below 50, stay on or get off. It blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Hello, folks. Welcome once again to another action-packed episode of your favorite speed podcast. It's probably the only speed podcast. Or maybe it's not, but it's definitely your favorite. This is indeed 50 miles per hour, and last week, we established speed as a sort of ultimate L.A. movie. We covered the locations element of the film and how it sort of utilized the city as a backlot, doing crazy stuff on city streets, the 105 freeway before it was completed, the airport out at LAX, a brand new subway system at the time, and of course, a rousing finale in front of Hollywood's famed Chinese theater. I thought it was a good excuse to go off-road this week with another of our top film critics and sort of break down the greatest L.A. movies of all time. That's right, 50 miles per hour has gone listicle, and we're doing it today with the help of Katie Walsh, film critic for Tribune News Service as well as the L.A. Times. She also co-hosts the Miami Nice podcast on One Heat Minute Productions, where she and her colleague Blake Howard dig into the world of Miami Vice and the world of Michael Mann. And it's probably not a spoiler to say we'll be talking about that particular filmmaker a little bit today. So, Katie, thank you so much for joining me on a hot summer day to talk about the great Los Angeles movies. Do you feel good about your list? I do. It was such a challenge. This is probably one of the hardest lists I've ever had to make, but it was really fun to sort of drill into what I consider to be an ideal L.A. movie and why. And I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it it does become a difficult journey to start whittling it down. We both had about 20 each before we got down to our lists. But let's start talking about methodology first. Uh, you know, I literally told Katie to make this list whatever she wants it to be. You know, whether it's best movies set in L.A., best movies that showcase the city, best movies that tap into whatever, the collective psyche of L.A. A greatest L.A. movies list can be whatever you want it to be. And hopefully by the end of things here, we will have assembled the ultimate L.A. movie guide for everybody out there. And I'll just start by talking about what I did. My methodology was kind of a combination of all of that. But I really found that I was sort of drawn to movies that, I don't know, capture the idea of L.A. in many ways. And I guess there's something abstract about that. Uh, there's certainly something subjective about it. But it wasn't as simple for me as, you know, movies set in L.A. You know, I didn't gravitate to, you know, sort of localized things, which might lead to some eyebrow raising omissions for me. But, you know, again, just what the idea of L.A. is in my mind, that was sort of my chosen course. But how about you, Katie? What was yours? And, and we're going to start with you, by the way. So first, tell us how you came to your list. And then kick us off with the first movie on that list. And by the way, by pure coincidence, one movie is shared across our two lists. Like we didn't, when we came together and said, these are our lists, one movie on both of them. So this is going to be a bulky discussion with 19 individual movies. And I want to note that Katie is anti-ranking. 
<laughs> which is which is adorable and and fine. <laughs> but I just, just want to mention that as well. Whenever I like I ranked all the Mission Impossibles recently and then everyone got so mad at me for the last one and I was like this is why I hate ranking because <laughs> one of them has to be last. It's yeah. like and I also just I I think it's just really hard to like put wildly disparate films, you know, in, I guess, competition with each other. So that's the only reason why I'm against ranking, but Very I am, I have put this in, in somewhat of an order. Okay. So there is a, a beginning and an end, but, um, I did ask her to say from her, her most passionate sentiments for the end. So we can yes. at least start to lean that way, but yeah, yes. you go ahead and tell us first what, about your um, sort of methodology, I guess. Yeah. My methodology was movies that I felt captured Los Angeles as a place, as a setting that allows me to see LA in a new way or um, uh, sort of reflected the way that I know the city uh, in a certain way. So definitely Los Angeles as a character, as a setting, and maybe from a different point of view. I also really wanted to include um, at least one film directed by a woman or a person of color and also that had different representational aspects in that way. I just think my approach to list making is kind of uh, to include all kinds of different people and artists and representation. So that was just something that I kept in mind um, while I was putting my list together. But when I think about it, it's like definitely films that make me see or feel the city um, as a place, as a setting. And, and, and I think that films that had to be set in LA or there's something integral to the city about what's going on in these movies. Awesome. What's your first movie? Okay. So my first movie is Tangerine, which is the Sean Baker film. Um, and he's shot it on iPhone and it has to do with, uh, two sex workers who are transgender sex workers who are basically going on a Christmas Eve journey up and down essentially Santa Monica Boulevard, sort of from West Hollywood to East Hollywood and back and forth on foot, on the bus, on the subway. Um, they have a sort of memorable uh, opening in a donut shop, which is now a donut shop. It's on Highland and Santa Monica and it's owned by Danny Trejo. It's like one of Danny Trejo's donut shops. Um, oh, it was it still called there? Yeah, it's still there, but it's okay. like painted pink and it's it's uh, Treo's Donuts or whatever his his uh, or Donuts and Coffee. In the movie, it's called Donut Time. The structure is yeah. still there, but it's just rebranded. Um, and when I first moved to L.A., I uh, did not have a car for three years. So I think when you see the city on foot or by public transportation, it's a vastly different experience than seeing it uh, in a car. And that's what I loved so much about Tangerine was like the the aspect of seeing it on foot. Um, and I think I, I just love that it was highlighting people that you don't always see in LA movies. I think there's like an Armenian cab driver in this movie and just like highlighting things that if you lived in LA and you knew the city quite well, like you would identify these people and these experiences and these locations. So, um, that's totally. why I chose Tangerine. Uh, no, I haven't seen Tangerine since it came out and I loved it. Uh, it, it. It peels back the layers of the city in a way I feel like Sean Baker only can too. I mean, no one else is is going to make that movie that way. And he just has such a, a an indelible focus on that. So I saw that and I, I certainly had thought about it, uh, but it had been a while since I had seen it. So it didn't stick as much as some other movies, but yeah, perfect choice. 
my number 10, because I rank, <laughs> is, you know, I, I, I thought about Sunset Boulevard here. I, I felt I should. Uh, the noirs are difficult for me. And by the way, we're going to use this as an excuse to just talk about other movies the whole time. So yeah. uh, expect that. But then I started to think about them, you know, Kiss Me Deadly. It's, it's a Bunker Hill movie to me more than it's an L.A. movie. I get yeah. back to that localized thing. Uh, Double Indemnity, Mildred Pierce. Like, OK, you'll see like some Glendale or Los Feliz location here and there. But it doesn't start to scream L.A. movie to me. Long Goodbye. It's a Malibu movie. It's not really an L.A. movie. But then I was thinking because my head was there about black and white and Ed Wood flashed in my head. And I said, Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. is definitely a great L.A. movie. Uh, so I got a little wacky there, but I just thought about it. And I, I'm i really into this idea of movies that, again, showcase different areas of the city. And I just think of things like Bella Lugosi living in Baldwin Hills. And I even reached out to Larry Karaszewski when I was putting this together. I was like, he wrote this script with uh, Scott Alexander, his partner. And I was like, did they really, did he really live in Baldwin Hills or did he just make that up? And he was like, oh no. And he showed me all his research instantly. <laughs> like He was like, he lived in Baldwin Hills in this house. And so just little weird things like that. I mean, this movie shares uh, DNA with a lot of movies on my list, which is a lot of mine are about dreamers. And that's, to me, sort of a quintessential element of L.A. You come to L.A. because you're trying to get away from somewhere else. Um, You know, I I interviewed somebody not long ago. No, I didn't interview him. Dennis Hopper. I I saw an interview with Dennis Hopper. Uh, You interviewed uh, Dennis Hopper? No, no, no. I saw. I I, I, know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I, I saw an interview. Yeah, that would be interesting. He went down to the grave and it was a seance. (laughs) You had a Ouija board. He showed up. He was on time. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I saw an interview with Dennis Hopper where he was talking about he grew up in Dodge City and he came to L.A. because he wanted to know where all the trains were going. Oh and my so god! I, I just always that. thought that was a great line, and it a lot of my movies sort of reflect that idea of L.A. as a dreamer city, and also Ed Wood certainly is part of the reflexive cinema canon uh, movies about the industry, Boogie Nights, The Player, things like that. So uh, it it just struck me I wanted to include Ed Wood on the list. It was one of my favorite movies when I was you know getting into movies. It's my favorite Burton movie, Tim Burton movie. So Ed Wood number ten for me. Nice. Um, I, and I love Ed Wood. So yeah, I love Ed, Ed Wood so much. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Just, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I need to rewatch it, but okay. It goes all over. Uh, That's what I love about it. It show it showcases a lot of areas and, and, you know, there's the whole bit with Orson Welles and it's my favorite movie magic kind of movie in terms of showing you how that sausage is made or show a movie kind of depicting the industry in that way. I love it for that. So, yeah. And I think so many of the movies like on both of our lists are about like filmmakers who come to LA as dreamers and are reflecting that back in their own work. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Cause I don't think we have a lot of like native Angelinos <laughs> as directors on this list. So they're really capturing yeah. the, the, the sense of, of falling in love with the city, I think, which I, I'm not from here. So I also, uh, feel like I share that once sometimes, you know, that's a connection you can feel with a filmmaker when they are um, sort of showing you the city that they fall in love with or, or that they um, are grappling with as a, totally. as a transplant, as a dreamer. Um, yeah. Okay. So my number nine is the nice guys, uh, a Shane black film from the Miami 20... nice guys. Sorry, yeah, the Miami nice that. guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I really, really wanted to include a Shane Black film because, and this I think is one of his best. I could have also done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I guess. But I this one, is, one, 
there's just such a like affability to this film. It's Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe who normally do um, quite uh, tough guy a little bit characters. Um, and, and it's them leaning into their physical comedian aspects or even their, you know, just their comedian aspects. And uh, it's a sort of L.A. noir. It's all over the city. It's Shane Black sort of riffing on L.A. noir, even though he riffs on that, I think, a lot. But this is sort of the most direct one. Um, and I think it's just a really sort of beautiful distillation of like his talent and his approach to filmmaking. I also interviewed Shane Black for Playboy, I think mm -hmm. in 2016. And it was about this movie. And I I said to him, I said, at the, my last question to him was like, Shane, what's the deal with Christmas? Because if you know Shane Black movies, you know that he always has some scene that's set at Christmas. And um, Shane Black is a really interesting guy. He speaks in full paragraphs, like beautiful, uh, beautifully written sentences that are have no ums or likes or pauses or anything. He just speaks like he's writing for a, a character of his own. Um, and he just told me this like really beautiful anecdote or sort of evocative um, notion of LA at Christmas and how there's a sadness to it because there's no snow and, but like, but people are still sort of celebrating Christmas in very small ways. Like the taco truck will have like a little Virgin Mary or a Santa or, you know, just the, the kind of, you know, palm tree with Christmas lights on it kind of idea that there's a, a poignancy and a beauty and a little bit of a sad twinge to Christmas in LA and that there's something evocative about that, that makes you feel something. So, um, yeah, anyway. and a lot of times it's the town in, empties out a bit, so it's, yeah, uh, it's a it's a vibe. Well, the town empties out because it's made of people from other places, yeah, you know, exactly. like just kind of what we're talking about. So, um, or the weirdos that go to Hawaii for Christmas and New Year's, which I never understood. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Shane industry Black. shut down. Yeah, industry shuts down. <laughs> Shane Black goes back to Lethal Weapon, right? Uh, L.A. and Christmas. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Last Boy Scout fan. Um, it, you can definitely put a number of Shane Black movies on here. I certainly thought about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I want to watch again. I was look, I looked at the trailer again when I was thinking about it for this list. And I was like, man, I got to go back to that. But nice guys. You know, I remember not being a huge fan of that movie, though. Um, I, I, I want to go back to it because I just feel out of place not liking it. It seems like something I should like more than I do. <laughs> um, do you remember why both... you didn't like it? Or was it just? No, I, I just something... I don't remember. I just, Didn't I just remember on that day. It, it depends the, on the day. It, it could have been the day. Cause I do know that I liked both of them and that they were just so good together in that way. Uh, Russell and Ryan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, Ryan. there are so many um, Shane Black movies, as you said, like lethal weapon would have been a fun one. Um, you know, that could, that could fit on this list. I, I don't mm -hmm. know why this was the one I zeroed in on, but I think it just felt like the most LA to me. Um, mm -hmm. and him kind of reckoning with his, with, with the genre of the LA noir, but also like the place. And I don't know, it just, it's almost like a, we're going to talk about this movie later. It feels almost like a foil to LA confidential mm -hmm. totally. with Russell and stuff. So totally Good yeah. call. Do you want to mention the movie that you wanted to switch out there or do you want to save it? We talked about right before we started recording. Oh, um, 
Oh yes, I was gonna um, switch she really out. Wanted to do this, but I was like, uh, I, I was gonna Shane swap out. Yeah, we really wanted to talk about Shane, so we put that on there. And I, I feel like we're gonna be um, just referring to everybody like by their first name, like they're our friends the whole time. Yes, but, yes, it happens. Um, uh, I, I really wanted to put licorice pizza because uh, I felt like I had to include a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. There's so many. Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> movies uh, that are about LA, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Licorice Pizza. Um, but Licorice Pizza just felt like such a love letter to the Valley and where he grew up. So that was kind of what I was thinking about um, wanting to put that on there. I ultimately, it's not on there, but it's there. Well, you know what? It's we'll, in my we'll heart. Talk, it lives we'll, in my heart. We'll talk about him now because I think this was really my number eight not my number nine, but I'll make it my number nine for these purposes. Magnolia is my my number nine. Uh, PTA, as you say, uh, a consummate L.A. filmmaker uh, across a number of movies. And this one to me, it's my favorite PTA movie. I think it's an outright masterpiece. Uh, and every time I go back to it, I'm obliterated all over again. And it has something to say about connections between people that feels like, and it feels like it could only have been in L.A. Like, I don't think you could have made this movie in like, I don't know, San Francisco, wherever else. It just, it just there's something about, and, and in some ways it's like, it's a Magnolia Boulevard movie, right? Like it's just, it's like, a, it's not so much, it's not a movie that goes all over really. Uh, you know, you got Tom Cruise at his dad's house and stuff, but like, th there's just something about the characters and the idea of disconnection and connection that is at the heart of the movie that I just, it feels like it screams the city's soul to me in some sense. And so that, that, that mm -hmm. was my PTA movie. Yeah. You truly could choose any number of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love Magnolia. I need to I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it in very many years, but it's such a special so movie. Good. It's and like it's the type of movie that I haven't seen in in many years, but there are certain images and performances and moments that are just like seared onto you. I can't believe and, you made that movie. I don't it's like that that movie exists at that right. Length. I mean, he, he could he could do what he wanted to at that stage, but it obviously comes in that great film year of '99, mm -hmm. and you just wouldn't get this movie from anybody today, I don't think. So no, it's it's completely unique, and of course, I love that it um, it lands in Tom Cruise's uh, years of working with auteurs and doing daring material, which he's doing daring material in different ways now. But we love him playing a villain as he will be later on my list. Ooh, a tease. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's next for you? I'm going to go Boys in the Hood because I love John Singleton and I love this movie. And I also think this movie uh, captured just like a moment in time. It was very zeitgeisty. Um, I think John Singleton was like the youngest person ever nominated for best director at that time. Yep. He was like right out of college uh, at USC. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like. Fight on. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're both Trojans. We are. <laughs> um, but I just think he's such a great director. I mean, RIP, I love him so much. And um He's so insanely talented, but this movie also just came at this like really interesting moment in time for Los Angeles and for, um, you know, it represents a different part of Los Angeles, South Central, Compton area that we don't always see as well. And 
it's also just like really beautiful and tragic and sad and um really like deeply moving um in it's just a great film you know it's aside from all the sort of meaning that is put onto it for what it's about where it's from uh you know what it says about the culture in the mid 90s and all of this stuff you know when we were obsessed with the LA riots and gangster rap and all this stuff but you know i think it just shows this story of like normal people living in their neighborhood and 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 it's outside it's it's more of a personal story than it is like about the idea of where it is yeah so it, totally. it balances both i and i'm glad you included on the list i feel like john singleton needs to be represented uh i just fair warning my list is very white and part of it was what i said about things being localized like you know this movie takes place within a few square blocks right so it, it, yeah it's it, it sort of my methodology wasn't allowing it space also you know earlier this year i actually watched all of these films, Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society that I had not seen in years. Mm-hmm. Menace to Society, I think, is my favorite still. I just, that movie is so freaking good and potent mm-hmm. and uh, just an exhibition of talent that uh, still blows me away. And, but if I had gone with any of them, I, I might have even said Friday. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a movie I totally. watched. I, I wore out my VHS uh, when I was in. Yes, that like didn't even occur to me. But yes, like, because I just thought John Singleton. And then I just immediately thought Boys in the Hood. But Friday is like such a great choice. So So good. And you could even go to things like Training Day and stuff that really are kind of city hopping movies as well. And God, I love Training Day. There's there's so many to choose from and not that you would have to choose one. But I, I just I ended up not having uh, a John Singleton film or any of these from the early nineties. So I'm glad you have that on there. It's, it's an excellent choice. Also, he is an Angelino. So we've been talking a lot about people who are transplants. So I think in this film, he's like saying, this is my HUD. Yeah, totally. You know, this is going to make an interesting segue to my next movie, but, um, I went with falling down (laughs) the Joel Schumacher film from 1990 three that I don't think you would ever see made in a million years today. No, no, uh, no. It, it is, it is Michael Douglas as this guy who's just on his way to work over here. And I think he's over here in Pasadena, South Pass, something like that. And in traffic and this glorious opening shot that just sets up the, the kind of closeness of things and just the heat and, and, and settles on this guy's face and he just freaking snaps and gets out of his car and goes on a tear through the city and talk about like a road trip through the city. I mean, this goes mm-hmm. all the way through Koreatown, through, uh, boy, I think I he's in Boyle Heights at one point. Uh, he's making his way to Venice and just slowly losing his mind along the way. And it today it could be seen as like a poster child for like MAGA types. I still think looking at the movie now, I don't know when the last time you saw it was or what you think about it. Mm-hmm. I think the movie is very smart and it's kind of, assessment of that stuff and yeah. still is and ends on one of the bleakest images uh i can imagine actually i don't know if you remember mm-hmm. but it's after after they, they they kill him out on the duval kills him out on the pier which is actually the manhattan beach pier which is standing in for venice beach pier <laughs> uh a little local it's a good pier. pier yeah it's a good pier photographs better um but, but he he uh they kill him and then the kind of camera is wandering back through the house 
and before the finale has happened, there's he was in there watching old home movies with him and his wife, uh, played by Barbara Hershey and their daughter. And uh, so at the end of the movie, the, the camera kind of floats through the house and settles on this like familial moment between him, him and his daughter and then directed by Joel Schumacher. And it's just like, oh, it's a bleak passage. But I love Joel. Again, these this kind of trip through L.A. movies, I really cling to. I think of stuff like Volcano, mm-hmm. To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, God. Uh, you know what? That should have been on my list. <laughs> She's calling for a, a redo. A Eleven. Eleven. Stop to count. Um, <laughs> or like Ambulance even uh, more recently. Shit. This is going to happen. You're just going to have to let it happen. I'm so mad. It's going to happen. <laughs> I know. I know. But these kind of movies that really just blast through the city in ways and just it's just really cool to me. So falling down, if you haven't seen it in a while or if you if you're if you feel icky about it, I mean, just give it another shot. I still think it's very brilliant. So I think Joel is good at Joel. My guy um, Mm -hmm. is good at showing stuff, but also having a critical stance Mm -hmm. or not. And not that he's not that it's demonizing, but just kind of presenting it in a way that you know is sort of just like let's take this in kind of thing yeah at least with that movie um and that movie i love the camera the like sort of floating long long takes that are happening all the time and it's andre barto barkoviak barkoviak the dp i should say this of speed yes i was looking at that right before we started recording i'm like he shot speed yeah. So and there's I could stuff not in that say movie. his name. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> sure. You can see uh, like, you know, ideas forming for stuff to put in speed because there's some stuff happening at the construction area of the 105. Mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon 3, which Jan DeBont shot, there, there's a, a big uh, subway thing in that when they're still building the subway. So you kind of see these locations that are coming together in the early 90s and then they get really utilized in speed. But, and it's yeah. like you get these two genius cinematographers working on speed and it's mm-hmm. just the perfect movie ever made. I mean, and what, there's a scene, by the way, in Falling Down with Frederick Forrest, who we just lost, played chef in, in Apocalypse Now. Oh, and he yeah. plays this like racist, homophobic gun nut in, you know, a, a gun shop or, or um, kind of selling military fatigues and stuff in. Uh, I don't know where that is. That seems like Koreatownish. But I always just feel like him and the guy from the the guy with the gimp downstairs in Pulp Fiction must have known each other or something. Wait, is that the <laughs> is it the the um L A is it the one the army surplus store in Silver Lake? No, yes. I don't think he would have had an army surplus store in Silver Lake. That there was one though that was there forever. But I believe there closed. was one. But this was so seedy, oh, it just couldn't okay. couldn't have been couldn't have been. Okay. But interesting. Yeah. What's next okay. for you? Okay, my next one is my one and only uh, Tarantino entry. I I could have done Pulp Fiction, but I went with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Lower than uh, I thought it was going to be. Interesting. I know. I you know what I, the the ranking is a little. I'm just it's a little wonky because you know I'm not <laughs> quite a ranker. I won't hold you to it. But um, I again. I think I think I put this on the list just for that sequence where all the neon lights turn on at like Casa Vega and Musso or you know Arclight, the Cinerama Dome, the Vista. What's I can't the even remember. Restaurant. Um, Is it Casa Vega? The, no, no, no. The one near the New Beverly, across the street from the New Beverly. Oh, El Coyote. El Coyote. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that one of the signs? 
I think so. I can't remember. I'm just literally naming places that I think <laughs> you would have included. So if I'm wrong, just let me know. But um, just that kind of magical twinkly sequence of clearly a filmmaker just being like, I love these spots. And it's totally the L.A. Um, dreamer. You move to L.A. and you're just, or you visit L.A. and you're just like, oh, I got to go to these places. So. Uh, I think I put it on just for that reason, but also I'm um, very obsessed with the Manson murders. And so it was fun mm. for me to see them like at Spawn Ranch and kind of this stuff that I had always thought about. I was very skeptical before this movie came out of this movie because I was worried about how he would treat the Manson murders because I am so <laughs> steeped in the details. Uh, but I think ultimately he puts this revisionist history uh, tendency that he has towards like a really beautiful fantasy of Sharon Tate just living her life and imagining what that might have been for her. And I think I, I respect what he does at the end of that movie. So mm. um, yeah. One of the guys I interviewed for the podcast is Gil Combs, who was the stunt driver who drove the bus uh, and pretty much anytime you see it moving and he's like a third generation stunt guy and this will probably be repetitive. I'm not sure when I'm going to bring this up on the show, but he kind of grew up with Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham in the house. So I was like, well, what'd you think of once upon a time in Hollywood? Because that's who Leo and Leo oh. and, and, and Brad Pitt are playing. Mm. And he's like, oh, I, I had trouble with it because I know these guys. And, you know, he's one of those things. It was just too close for him. But I just wanted to throw that out there because this, these guys, it's its an interesting community of people, the stunt world. And uh, I've run into a number of them on this. And he's pretty special. Just this third generation guy who was uh, his grandfather started in stunts in the silent era doing Westerns and stuff. So but cool. Anyway, we had to get a Tarantino movie on here. I don't have room for one. Ultimately, um, you know, I might have gone with Jackie Brown if one had made it through. I know I think that would have been my choice. And uh, again, impossible, like with. Paul Thomas Anderson, it's like impossible to choose one yeah. Tarantino L.A. movie. You totally say Pulp Fiction. You could say Reservoir Dogs, which they filmed right yeah. over here in my neighborhood, basically. Pat and Lorraine's is a restaurant that's still open. Great breakfast burritos. Uh, that's where they shot the diner scene. There's a bowling alley over here. Well, the, the wall of this bowling alley is where they were. They're sort of walking at the beginning on the credits. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like right over here. Yeah, uh, I know. Jackie know, Brown. Uh, it's like it's so hard to choose one. I think that's the one I would have gone with, though, if, if something had squeezed through. Mm -hmm. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood probably makes the most sense for these purposes. Okay, next. Where are we? Like number seven or something? I just um, did. I've done four. Okay. From the okay, bottom here we up. Go. So, I watched yeah. this again last night just to make sure. And God, the movie still soars. And I actually don't know what you think about it. Um, I can't remember. La La Land. Tell me now. What do you think? Oh, about what it? I think about it? Yeah. So I, so I know I... what I'm getting into. Am I walking into a wood chipper or not? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. I, I like La La Land. I don't think I'm like obsessed with it. But the thing about La La Land is I was like, I wasn't sure about it. And then the last 10 minutes or so, like totally got me. Mm -hmm. That whole sequence at the it's end, I, it, it really, I was like, okay, I, I'm emotionally connected to it. Um, yeah. I respect this choice. I think it's a good choice. And um, I think it had to, it, it you got to have this movie on here. It, getting back to my methodology, I mean, the idea of L.A., it's it's a movie about dreamers. It's a movie about 
it's got beautiful sunsets. It's got traffic. It's got that that opening sequence, which is takes place in Speed Country, by the way, where they shot the big jump sequence in Speed. Speed Country. This will come back to Speed <laughs> every time. Yeah, man, Speed Country. The big finale in Heat Two, where the, the big gun. That's Speed Country. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it, totally. And I live right off the one ten. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, just being someone in the crowd to steal a movie from a line from the movie. Um, I'm going to be a really douchey real quick and just read what I wrote about the movie because I went back to my thing that I wrote mm. at the time. I said, La La Land is about reaching. It's a, a reminder to the stability clinging pragmatist in all of us that the painful, often self-destructive act of dreaming is the very elixir of life. That's how I feel about this movie. And that's why it really gets in my bones, because it really is about that in every single ounce of its dna i mean and i and i wanted to throw in here babylon because it's a completely different view of la oh uh, it totally uh, is. totally cynical just view of a machine yeah that destroys you <laughs> and and i just thought that those two came from the same mind i mean i have mad issues with babylon but i actually love it more than most people do and uh this Damien Chazelle is talented, man. I, I, the way this guy has put together a movie every step of the way, I just, you know, we, we could spend plenty of time talking about the merits yeah. of these filmmakers, but it's as so an LA funny. movie. Yeah. You know, and it also it's, it's about these two people. I, this is what really got me. I think about it at the time, because I think I'm sure plenty of us relate to this. It's about two people who come into each other's lives at exactly the right time when they needed it. And then th they left, you know, they exited stage, mm -hmm. right. And so yeah. that that really impacted me. So La La Land. I was going to say, I do love the 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 sort of uh, dark light comparison of Babylon and La La Land and also including them as sort of a yin and yang uh, totally. entry on this list. Um, I, it, what's so funny is I, like, if the last 10 minutes of La La Land, like, got me on the side of that movie, the last 10 minutes of Babylon, like, completely threw me out. I was actually having so much fun with that movie until the end. I was just like, no, stop, yeah. don't do this. And there is stuff in the last third that I love. Like, I love that seedy club sequence thing with Tobey Maguire and just, here's mm -hmm. the star. And it's like, they're, they're going down to the bowels to kind of, is this berserk kind of, like, representational thing about stars that i just thought was really interesting but yeah uh, it's yeah, his the, david the lynch final, moment <laughs> the montage i can't i cannot sanction that no i can't sanction the montage either <laughs> I, yeah. I i also can't sanction showing as much of singing in the rain as he shows in that movie <laughs> i was like yeah we get it i we we got it about an hour ago but yeah we're good just show like 30 yeah. seconds of this but um, but no, Babylon, I think I think put the, putting those two together in terms of, um, you know, just the the both of these coming from his his brain and his experiences. But I do think La La Land, that's the one we're putting on the list. It's uh, it's it's the more Makes fun sense. movie, certainly. And um, I think it is the the right choice for the L.A. movie guide. OK, next for me, I'm going to go Terminator 2. Yes. Judgment Day. Um, and now I'm sort of questioning if I should have put that on the list, but I really wanted either Terminator or Terminator 2. Uh, I think I, I, I just love the location-ness of it, like the mall, the LA River, like the, just all of that. The and Galleria. Then the Galleria, Sorry. yes, of course. <laughs> um, 
and Linda Hamilton, of course, her glow up, her uh, amazing glow up. I, I, I just love the movie. I think it's like a perfect movie. And again, totally we have choice. someone, James Cameron, Canadian man, came here to make a dream. Uh, he was building sets on Roger Corman's workshop, you know, <laughs> sweatshop, whatever you want to call it. He was plucked by Gail Ann Hurd, who said that man knows what he's doing. She was uh, Corman's assistant and she could see talent and she optioned the Terminator script for one dollar. Um, and Steel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's still enjoying those spoils. But uh, I just think Terminator 2, I, I, I really like Terminator. Terminator 2 is, is an upgrade for me, though. Without without question, I, this is a great choice. I mean, I, this is one of the few movies where I've like gotten on Google Maps and been like, "Wait, where did John Connor live? What's the address?" Yeah. And go and look at the street view and be like, "Oh, it's still there. It looks like it." And they're like, total LA movie. I, and and y yes, you could have done Terminator as well. I mean, this was back when the industry was in LA, so the, the movie sort of was going to have to be in LA, right? Like, you're going to shoot that movie here. Um, and the way he does it is like, I I had a professor in film school, a cinematography teacher, he had this funny story about when they were shooting that movie, uh, when they were shooting specifically the big freeway chase, you could not find cable in this town, like rigging cable. Like oh my God. the production had just gobbled <laughs> up all the assets. And it was like this whole thing. That's uh, so, so that funny. They're like, we literally have no cords. <laughs> <laughs> no stingers. Sorry. It was, yeah. and you know, you look at that scene and it's like, it's night and they like the hell out of it. There's also a lot of really good rear screen projection in that movie, by the way, like incredibly integrated rear screen projection, just mm -hmm. on a nuts and bolts level. And just to find another reason to talk about speed, there's that great rear projection sequence in the subway at the end when they're fighting each other on top of the subway. And people might not even realize that's rear projection because it was a massive screen, like more immersive than most rear projection is. Uh, see, I find a way, I find a way to bring <laughs> the speed in, but Terminator also... 2 is totally valid. Yeah, I also just I, I love sort of outside of the text of Terminator 2. I, I love how I'm talking myself into uh, this, even though I did put it on my list. But uh, I love Eddie Furlong's uh, Glendale native. And Eddie Furlong was discovered by Molly Finn, the um, casting director at like it at a I've just looked it up at a Pasadena Boys and Girls Club. So I just wow. love also the idea of this L.A. kid just getting plucked out of um obscurity and and turned into john connor and and this huge um movie and he's so great in the movie and the kid the red-haired kid from the camp show <laughs> who plays oh, his yeah. friend who doesn't narc him out i also you, remember you him from tiny to. tunes yes yes i'm like <laughs> i don't Max. know that guy's name but um name too. uh yeah, hey, just... i think i saw that kid that you really go hey <laughs> he's got that great voice <laughs> yes he does the kid with the the red mullet um yes. So yeah, great, uh, fun LA movie, great action movie, Jimmy Cameron doing his thing. Well, my next movie, this was the movie that, you know, this was my movie when I got to town, I guess, like the movie that sort of is like, captures the feeling of being a transplant, uh, sort of pointed me in the direction of LA in some ways. And that's Swingers. Hell yeah. Uh, Doug Lyman. Uh, you know, the Dresden becomes sort of a pilgrimage when you get out there to go see Marty and Elaine, RIP Marty, uh, do their thing. And yeah, just this idea of being a transplant, trying to make it, stringing things together, feeling the the pull and the draw of back home, wherever that is, is a big part of the movie. 
uh, because there is that thing when you get here, I feel like where something in the universe wants you to fail, wants you to just pack it up and go back. And mm-hmm. there's something about this movie that captures that spirit. And it's represented in, in, in the form of an ex-girlfriend in some way. But like, I just really love that element of it. And, you know, I never was a swing dancer or anything, but uh, I've been to the Derby before. Um, it's, you know, it looks beautiful. Like the the photography, they shot Super 16. And I, there's something about the look of that movie that I love. Um, you know, the weird party scene of which, you know, every generation has their own. I'm sure it's, I don't go to parties oh, like up too much hell, often now. The, yeah, but just all of them. Up like the going to these weird, like bars that don't have a, a sign and stuff mm-hmm. and you know just like this place is dead anyway that guy uh just all of it it's just such a a quintessential la movie and was sort of my movie when i got here so swing oh for for people our age like swingers is a yeah, people 25 tech. 26 years old i agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's a formative text. I remember having the soundtrack on CD when I was in high school and I listened to it all the time. Still got like it. being 16 years old, listening to listening to like you're nobody until somebody loves you or mm-hmm. like um King of the Road. Like what mm-hmm. I'm like a 16 year old girl just like <laughs> getting down with these standards, but um yeah, no. And and I think that it still holds a certain sway over us. I mean, I still go to the Dresden sometimes and there's still that there's still a charm to it. It feels like it hasn't changed at all. And um Blood and Sand. Yes. Oh my god, those drinks are so gross though. I don't like Blood <laughs> yes. and Sand. Um, but uh yeah, that and it really do, I like to imagine that that group of friends is like a representation of like Shane Black's friends when he was a struggling screenwriter in yeah. the 90s and because he lived in some house that was like called the pit or something like you know some frat house of screenwriters and they were all trying to make it and I mm-hmm. feel like that that's a representation of, of what was going on there I also am like weirdly friends with Steve Brill who made the um Mighty Ducks D2 the Mighty Ducks 2 and like he and Peter Berg were like out here tr- like playing street hockey and like doing punch up and they were friends with Mark Marin. I'm just like, oh, this era of the 90s. Oh, yeah, totally. Screenwriter totally. I always, guys. I always feel like I was born 10 years too late or something. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like Favreau really captures that um, community of, of 90s screenwriter guys. And the first script I ever wrote in film school, I'm sure it's a piece of crap. I haven't looked at it since, uh, is called Nobody Till Somebody. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Did it take place in L.A.? No, it was just some small town thing. But okay, but you got it from the soundtrack. I got it from the soundtrack. Yes. Amazing. Moving on. What's next? Okay, I'm going to go with our shared entry. You're the one. Okay. yeah, Um, I'm going with Nightcrawler. There it is. (laughs) Jake Gyllenhaal at his crazy eyed finest. Dan Gilroy. an exploration this is kind of tied to me like tangerine like it's showing you these the a part of la that you don't that is a part of the fabric of the city but it is not what you usually think of when you think of the city and um this ambulance chasing you know not ambulance chasing like um this sort of police scanner chasing ambulance chasing sort of cravenness but again i think it does also capture this 
corruption of media and entertainment and the exploitation of people and both behind the camera and in front of the camera. And obviously it's just one of uh, Gyllenhaal's best performances. Absolutely. This movie could be number one in, in an, on another day. I, I think there's something about this movie that gets this city in ways that very few movies do. I mean, this is, this town is about freelancer culture. This yes. is a gig economy town. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, they say if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. If you if you can make it in Los Angeles, you probably can only make it in Los Angeles. Is my kind of <laughs> yes dig. Uh, it, it's a town of misfits, and and this is like a really dark vision of that. And Robert Ellswood shot the hell out of it. It was the same year as Inherent Vice, so he was capturing L.A. in very different shades. I, I wrote a story about that specifically. I interviewed him because it was just so fascinating to me. But, you know, entertainment, exploitative news, uh, learning on the job, like he, he plays this Jake plays this Rupert, Rupert Pupkin kind of looking guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And and it's just such a good comparison. It's that he's it's a Rupert in, Pupkin. Such totally, a good comparison. Totally. the it, It's it's an incredible movie. I watched it again because I was like, do I want to put this on the list? And mm-hmm. I was like, it's shot to the top five. I was like, absolutely. And I, I was trying to stay away from it because it was on your list. And I was like, we're going to have to share this one. We're going to. Yeah. It's it's so, so good. And I, I cannot believe that we dropped the ball on that for Oscars because everybody should have been nominated. Renee Russo's incredible. Riz Ahmed's uh, incredible. Riz I is mean, incredible. Bill Paxton's incredible. His I know. Brief bit, you know, like, R.I.P. Bill. I miss yes. him so much. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised that this did not get nominated for Oscars because I feel like the Academy with the Oscars, they like to they it's like it's always about like what is the story we want to tell about ourselves and so that's why you get you tell this one yeah no they're like please do, we're don't look at this like they're <laughs> like guys like look away because it's so cynical and so dark and so true um, indicting and true and accurate but it's like such an indictment of yeah. the industry and and just the way that he is living on the edge in a in a way that is like very scary but also very realistic in terms of his just his sheer existence like his financial situation his apartment like mm-hmm. it's so easy for people to have big dreams and slip through the cracks and if they have no support system then they you know it, it, things can get really edgy and scary really quickly so yeah uh, I think that when the Academy is like, yay, the artist and like, yay, La La Land and yay, Birdman, it's like they want to celebrate like artistry and beauty and um, Birdman's pretty cynical. Yeah, it is. But it's also like I'm an actor and it's really hard. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> but And we hate critics. Engage with my plight. Yes, I get it. Um, but and yeah, it is cynical, but it's like you know they, they're trying to say like we work really hard and like this is important and like and sometimes it's nice but they don't want to be like this is scary and this is what could happen if you know it doesn't work out that's the one we share and it's an interesting one i feel like to be on both lists so yes and that we both would not sacrifice it. yeah exactly <laughs> what's next for you um what's next for me is mulholland drive another I'm really fascinated that you haven't said one of them yet at how high it is but anyway go ahead oh <laughs> yeah again my ranking is very wonky I know I know I know um uh, okay so David Lynch Mohan Drive I really wanted a David Lynch movie 
I, again, because I feel like he is like a filmmaker who's grappling with, he's from Idaho, he's coming to LA, he's kind of obsessed with LA, but also grappling with it. And again, I think it could be on a very scary double bill with Nightcrawler in terms of the cynicism of Hollywood and how it sort of um, chews people up. Mm -hmm. um and spits people out it's also obviously named after a very famous street in la um and just as a side note you had mentioned briefly sunset boulevard which you know it's like people would assume oh you have to watch sunset boulevard but to me i feel like sunset boulevard is just just about that one house off of it's sunset about what, boulevard the, what and the business did to her too but, but yeah right it's about the business but localized, like localized it, yeah it's it's very it just takes place in one place and it's about the industry but i just was like it's not it doesn't express la the city to me yeah but it expresses hollywood but not city but it's so hard to divorce those two but sure um anyway so yeah mulholland drive and just great performances and um creepy and scary dealing with sort of genre elements of noir and um totally inscrutable as well and starring Patrick Fischler, who was in the elevator in Speed. See? I'll, I'll oh my, make it happen it every back. time. Yes. He got his SAG card on Speed. Very nice guy, too, by the way. Yeah, nice. Mohan Drive was really close for me uh, to the, to making the list. I, and Lynch is low-key low an L.A. filmmaker. I mean, like, I could have gone with Inland Empire, or yeah. which I love, or Lost Highway, which is probably my favorite. Mm, oh, Lost Highway. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, you know, he 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 could have set Blue Velvet in like Burbank or something if he wanted to, or or something yes. wacky like Palmdale. You know, <laughs> yes. Uh, it, so it's it's a absolutely valid and really came close for me. So yeah, I can't add much more to that. I'm okay now. I'm entering a trilogy. You ready? Oh, nice. Got this, I trilogy. See this trilogy. Yes, this trilogy of uh the kind of secret history of Los Angeles, and uh this one's fun. Uh, Who framed Roger Rabbit? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it's it's got a lot of elements at play, like obviously entertainment industry and stuff, but just the role of developers and politicians in shaping this city because it gets into the collusion with the auto industry and the the destroying of the kind of immaculate public transportation we had here, mm -hmm. uh, the red cars, things like that, and this happy ending of like a freeway not happening. <laughs> it's 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 kind of like it's it's fascinating to me on that front and, and just again really just this idea of that collusion of of developers and politicians and how that's underneath this zany story about in about the entertainment industry and you know when i was in at usc actually for for grad school for journalism my beat was transportation in culver city and i remember writing this story this was oh eight i remember writing this story about um it was called the story was called back to the future. And it was how we were finally getting back to the kind of strands of great public transportation we used to have here. And it was at a time when the expo line was being built through Culver city. And uh, I just always thought that was fascinating. I mean, you go around town here and you will see old rights of way from old tra tracks from like red cars and mm -hmm. stuff like buried, like sticking out of the ground. Like we had a great, beautiful system here that we destroyed because of the automobile. And uh, then we became a freeway culture and kind of a poorly designed one. But uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think anyone watches Roger Rabbit and has this on their mind necessarily. But like, it's just something about the movie to me that really just has a strong whiff of Los Angeles. So who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I um, it's so fun. I just rewatched this actually 
to, because I had not seen it in so, so, so long. And it is funny how, I mean, what I remember of it, because I was a kid, I just remember some of these uh, really indelible images. I remember the the kiss, like flying through the air from Jessica mm-hmm. Rabbit and also how scary uh, Christopher uh, Lloyd is <laughs> at the end. Totally. Um, and I was going, oh my God, I can't believe my parents let me watch this. <laughs> but it was such a like cultural phenomenon. And then it is funny when you revisit it as an adult and you're like, they're really weaving in some uh Chinatown-esque yeah, it's got political that Chinatown commentary. Overlay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that it obviously goes over uh, kids' heads when they watch it, but um, it is clearly a filmmaker grappling with the history of LA and with the industry as well. And Bob Hoskins, has there ever been a person who has been a better actor opposite cartoon characters? Like he's so locked in and he's so, he gives like an almost I was like, did he go to clown school? Like his physical <laughs> really performance good. is so good, especially totally. at the end. Yeah. Oh, with he's, the number. Yeah. Well, just like he, he he's just, you know, like he's sort of struggling and fighting against all of these animated elements. As and he's singing and dancing. He's so good at it. Totally. Um, and I just have a huge crush on Bob Hoskins. Also, R.I.P. R.I.P. Bob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's somebody named Bob in Speed, too. No, sorry. That actually is. <laughs> Patrick Fischler plays a Bob in the elevator. And then the guy that gets blown up in the bus at the beginning, his name's Bob. Anyway. Amazing. I know. I love I've it. I've got it. I've got it's, it. It's right there. It's so present <laughs> in your mind. What's okay. next? Okay. This is, uh, I am now on my number three. My number okay. three, and it really could have gone to another title. I am going with Strange Days. That's the one. I was like, when's she going to mention this? Great <laughs> yeah. choice, but go ahead. I almost went point break. I really wanted Ooh. to go Point Break, uh, but I had to get a pa- Catherine Bigelow film on here. Um, I really wanted to go Point Break, but again, that also kind of like what you said before, feels like a Malibu movie. Um, and Strange Days is such a movie about LA and about LA cops. And I feel like she is extremely, well, she's both reacting to the LA riots and then also predicting the future um, mm-hmm. when she's, dealing with the corrupt LAPD and also these like um, virtual reality headsets that everybody's wearing. It sort of, it takes place in the year 2000. I believe mm-hmm. this is 1995. So it has like a light cyberpunk element to it. Um, but, you know, those virtual reality headsets are anticipating things like body cameras or even cell phone video footage of police brutality. And so, I think that um, she's reckoning with stuff that had happened and also anticipating things that would come to pass in a really interesting way. And um, also she just is like, I don't know, she did so much cool uh, technical innovation with her Steadicam op who she got from her ex-husband, James Cameron. And he, um, they, they, you know, really innovated a lot of really light Steadicam rigs and you can see it in both the foot chase in Point Break where um, Keanu is chasing Patrick in the Reagan mask um, where like the camera's like going over fences and all of this crazy stuff and then she innovated even more with some of the camera work that she was doing in Strange Days where she's um, capturing these really intense like visceral POV shots from the virtual reality headsets. So had to include Strange Days. Love that movie. And an, it needs a 4K or Blu-ray 
yeah. re-release. James Cameron, let my people have this. Oh my God. Oh, he's got <laughs> he's got a number of those he's got to work on. Yeah, I yes, mean he does. Absolutely great choice. Um, I can't add much. I haven't seen it in a while. I am a fan. Uh, I will say, uh, starring the star of Speed, Glenn Plummer. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> it's a very different vision of the city. Um, and and for all the reasons you note, I think it's a very smart choice. So uh, I saw it and I was like, oh, of course, that's so good. But Point Break would have been, I thought about Point Break as well. It's really hard to not include Point Break. It's pain. It's painful for me. Yeah. So my f continuing my trilogy, uh, we just kind of brought it up, Chinatown. Um, more secret history of LA, the creation of the city, the California water wars. I mean, I don't know what else we could say about Chinatown in terms of being an LA movie uh, that hasn't been said, but uh, also, I guess the only noir on my list mm, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause again, like I was saying, a lot of those tend to be so localized, but this one certainly is not. But this is um, an interesting noir cause it's kind of like outside of the traditional time frame. Yeah, exactly. Um, just, and, and what can you say about Chinatown? It's a masterpiece. Um, and I just, I love that it continues this thread of like, this, is, this place has a complicated history and you can make movies about it till you're blue in the face. I mean, it's like, there's just so much to be dug into and kind of mind just to spin into narrative, to spin into story, because obviously, you know, Chinatown is jumping off of nonfiction. Um, yeah. But it's, it's just immaculate you truly could find dig through the history books and find some crazy noir history that you could turn into a classic film <laughs> there's just i feel like there, like you say there's so much history and story to be told there yeah yeah i love uh, this movie i haven't seen it in a long time but it's a good thing we got a robert town movie on here i think okay what's next we've got we're down to two more each all right my number two amy heckerling's clueless I had so to include Clueless, I think because it was so formative for me at uh, probably 12 or 13. And um, I think also because Amy is specifically interested in a group of people from this very specific community. And so she took Emma, the Jane Austen film, and put it into Beverly Hills Teenagers. And so I think this is a movie that has to be in LA, that LA is, you know, very much a setting and a character and a part of this world. And again, like kind of like how Swingers is, like when you're like, oh, there's the location from whatever, Swingers, like in, you know, for people who love Clueless, it's like you kind of get obsessed with the liquor store in the valley where she gets held up um, or Circus other- liquor. Yeah, Circus Liquor with the Clown. And so my friend used to live right by there. So again, like a fun location for, um, you know, dreamers who move here and want to uh, experience their movie, their favorite movies, IRL. Um, but yeah, I just think like it's sort of an anthropological study and um, of a very specific type of person in a type of place at a certain time. And I just, it's so iconic. I could quote this whole movie. I re recently rewatched it and just sort of said the entire screenplay um, to myself. And I, it really had a big impression on me. And it's not like when I moved here that I thought my existence would be anything like Cher sure. Horowitz. But um, it just. What a name, by the way. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but I think it's a perfect movie. I think it's a perfect lead performance and a such a funny screenplay and really evocative of a sort of part of town and people who live in it. Totally. Uh, a perfect choice. I frankly had it on my list and I just slid it to you because I wanted to squeeze <laughs> something else on. It would yes, be, it we would have to spread the love. <laughs> and certainly the whole bit about uh, it, it evokes a, t- a place, certainly a time. I mean, that is that is an ultimate 90s movie um, yeah. as well. And, uh, you know, kind of also maybe not so much. I think of it in the spirit of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. They're not similar in how they depict things, but that it's just kind of a wheelhouse that I think is shared in some sense. And Ridge, Ridgemont High is a movie we could totally have put on this list. Um mm-hmm. So I just think of that um, Clueless Rocks. What else can you say? I will say the music supervisor of Clueless, Ralph Saul, music supervisor of uh, songs from and inspired by Speed. Um, so <laughs> Wait, what is that album? Oh, inspired on. by Speed? <laughs> songs inspired by Speed. That's amazing. <laughs> hang on. Go through my, go through my CDs here. Oh. There you go. Songs from and inspired by the motion picture Speed. Wait, did that come out before or after the movie? It's one of those things that comes out in tandem, you know, there's the. Oh, okay. It's got Billy Idol's jam on there, obviously. Um, I need to I need to listen. Some of these are in the movie. Some of them are not. That's the inspired by. Yeah, I was literally hired to come up with a (laughs) I mean, listen. uh, Cracker, let's go for a ride. Blues Traveler, go outside and drive. Rick Akasic, Crash. Pat Benatar, Rescue Me, Rod Stewart, Hard Road. You get it? Kiss, Mr. Speed. He was literally, it, it's a theme album that he was hired yes, to come up with. I love it. And yeah. he and he was the music supervisor for Clueless? He was, the, he was the guy on Clueless too, yeah. And that soundtrack was such a big deal to me as well. My sister, so my older sister taped it for me on a tape. And I listened to that tape all the time. Although I embarrassed myself. He's not responsible for uh, the tenderness at the end. I was like, dude, that's the greatest needle drop. And he's like. That wasn't me, unfortunately. I was like, oh, well, pass it on, whoever did it. Yeah. Well, but Ralph oh. Saul, he's the man. He he kind of created the uh, the tribute album. Um, he, he he did like a uh, Grateful Dead one in 1990, and then he did the, the they did a Doors one called Stoned Immaculate. And he came up with, uh, he didn't do Encomium, the Led Zeppelin one, but he sort of insinuates that that was his idea. Anyway, interesting dude. People will hear from him on the podcast at a later date. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. So what am I up to? Number two. Uh, You're on your two. F- finishing my trilogy, uh, you know, LA Confidential. Um, talk about just mining history as well as apocrypha, you know, just it's got everything. It, it ties in stuff like the Bloody Christmas thing, the Hush Hush magazine, and just the kind of corruption of entertainment and law enforcement and and how those two worlds collide and everything shattered dreams it, it ends on this sort of undying spark of hope as much as we can stomach you know seeing kevin spacey on screen he's incredible <laughs> in the movie and yeah he's and very really good. really conveys that in such a great way and just how show business is wielded to sort of distract from the rot of the city mm. there's just so much going on in this movie that is just an ultimate LA movie. And so I LA love confidential. I love LA confidential and um, yeah, just like the themes of police brutality and kind of when you revisit it, you just are like, Oh, this is, 
this is just a thing in the LAPD <laughs> and it always has been. And that's just one of the things we reckon with as a, as a city here sort of constantly. Um, but, and Russell Crowe, mm, so good and so oh, hot great. in this movie. Everybody's and so good in it. Guy he, Pierce every, is his every, first thing, really. Like, Guy Pierce is great. Uh, Yes, oh, Cromwell, and I love Danny DeVito as the as the journalist. Which I was like, okay, I feel a little attacked by <laughs> this, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, and and he relishes his performance. Um, and yeah, it's just a great movie, beautiful classic. You can watch it any single time, any time, um, and. Yeah, and again, it sort of feels a little strange daisy to me in terms of dealing with the LAPD, but it also feels very uh, a foil to nice guys. So it's like those could be mm -hmm. a kind of interesting little triple feature. We should do a little programming session. We should have a festival. Yes. Let's talk to the American Cinematheque. There we go. <laughs> there we go. She's got the head on, folks. Yeah. Um, yeah, and by the way, my, my number one and number two film, not to spoil, uh, same DP. But let's get to your number one movie. My number one movie is Collateral. And, you know, directed by Michael Mann, 2004, starring Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Now, I do co-host a podcast about Miami Vice and about Michael Mann, co-hosted by Blake Howard, who did One Heat Minute. And uh, I feel like every time you're talking about ranking, you know, sore subject for me ranking michael mann movies you have to have heat and then it's the next one so it's like heat is always the number one just that's just a given Spoiler. and so <laughs> my next one is collateral and I, I the reason why i love collateral is like i love tom cruise i love jamie fox and this movie i think their performances are so good but i love what an la movie this is and uh the locations they're going all over town i love when they're in downtown he picks up Vincent Collateral, as he is canonically named, uh, Max picks up Vincent Collateral and he says, oh, I need to go to this location. And he asks them how long it'll take. And if you know LA and, and Max says it'll take seven and a half minutes or something like that. And you're like, yeah, that actually, that tracks. That sounds right. right. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then they go at one point at the end or in the middle, they go to six at Alexandria and it's, it's a in K town and it's a Korean club, but he doesn't really have to announce that. He just knows that if he takes you to different parts of town, it will have a specific, uh, you know, cultural and ethnic uh, feel, which I think when you live in LA, you start to figure these things out. And I think, if you have if you think LA is like just Hollywood or like just one thing you haven't done done enough exploring and so that's what I love about this movie it's really exploring all of LA and I think it's not really dealing with the industry but it's dealing with people who have dreams and um you know especially in Max and oh yeah uh, and limos I, I, yeah so it's just uh it's a perfect Michael Mann movie great Tom Cruise movie right kind of at the end of his uh experimentation with auteurs era and mm -hmm. um jamie fox is so good like how do you be the coolest guy ever and then play such a nerd it's amazing yeah. same year he played ray too ray charles exactly crazy. so collateral love it great la movie totally valid choice um it's this is the movie that 
this is the first movie I watched when I moved to LA. I moved, I moved here in the summer of 05. And the first thing I did was pulled out my laptop, pulled out my collateral DVD and watched collateral again. Uh, it, I was living on someone's couch in Culver city. And again, talk about this idea of a road trip through the city. I mean, this movie is that, um, for in so many ways, um, Vincent's whole spiel about LA being disconnected. I mean, it's, it gets at something really true about the city as well. Um, and it's it's funny too, two Vincents uh, in our top mm, films. Yes, <laughs> but uh, you know, capturing the that true look of the city at night, which he's obviously yes. was harping on, and and it totally did that. I mean, it's an incredible looking movie. Um, I I can't add anything else. I mean, it's it's the, it's the first time man did digital, or was Insider digital? He did a little bit on Ali. On Ali, okay, but so but not a lot. But like some of those weird cameras, small cameras he used to get into the fights he used. Right, right. So, um, yeah, this is I mean, the digital cinematography of this is amazing and beautiful. And um, we on our podcast, not to plug our podcast, but we did talk to the sound supervisor for both Miami Vice and Collateral, Elliot Kretz. And he talks a lot about how when you use digital at night, it opens up so much more of what you can see in the frame. And so he had to layer in so many other sounds of the city because you could see much more than you could if you would see if then if you were shooting on film. So I think just the the craft that goes into a Michael Mann film um, about LA and the shot on digital and at night, it's it's so it just captures everything. And I think he's just very interested in the city and what it means and i think if we're going to do double features this and falling down maybe that would be interesting yeah because when you I said mean, road trip across la i was thinking and cynical you, characters and, and it, the cynicism yeah yeah that would be interesting um yeah i mean it's uh i don't know what else to say about it it's a fantastic movie my number one is also a michael mann movie heat See, it's always got to be heat at number one. If you're doing Mayan movies or LA movies. My, my number two would probably, by the way, be The Insider. But uh, my number three might be Thief. But it's hard to rank, man. It's so um, hard. But he's 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 the ultimate LA filmmaker. And I just want to go back to Collateral real quick and say if there's the most LA shot in any Michael Mann movie it has to be The Coyote, right? I mean, Yes, yes. And yes. who doesn't love a good Chris Cornell needle drop? But Heat <laughs> is, is just... Uh, perfection for me uh so same same filmmaker tops both of our lists which i think is kind of fascinating and uh i mean what else oh wait something's going on here i can't excuse me this fucking Are you guy talking about hate and michael man without me katie walsh he's like a genie you wrote you rub the lamp and this guy pops up and there he is there i am you mentioned heat and poof Oh Blake my Howard God. has joined us. Blake Howard, the host of uh, One Heat Minute and the maestro behind One Heat Minute Productions. And as we said at the top, co-host of Miami Nice with Katie. Uh, I'm sure they were talking earlier today, in fact. We, um, we actually we actually were, and it was hard not to 
spill the beans oh, that I was so gonna, funny that, that I was gonna, gonna crash. That I, was I wanted to surprise you. In. I wanted to crash in because I thought, how dare that Katie Walsh talk about collateral and heat on another show? But it's great because it's 50 miles an hour. It's this terrific opus that I've been talking to Chris about long before it actually uh, manifested into the pod. So I'm so excited that you're on the show because I know you have an unabiding love for speed and you know what i don't even get to talk about speed on this episode it's like <laughs> not bring you fair back. <laughs> it's cruel it's cruel so I, let's talk I about heat yes. well let's let's talk whatever you guys I mean, want to talk because about. i don't think blake uh, has really spilled much ink on heat i mean it, it's <laughs> it, it's it, it's the movie that i love it I've because spilled more blood on heat than <laughs> it's the movie that man made man get to know his city uh, and I think that shows in every pore of the movie. Uh, it, it's an unseen tapestry against an iconic backdrop that I just think oozes Los Angeles. Um, it, it it's it's kind of I don't know that I ever w- when I was a kid watched the movie and like that was what I had a vision of Los Angeles in my head. But there was something about whatever this L.A. was I had to know more about or just it was just fascinating to me what he was able to kind of dig into the nooks and crannies of this metropolis and and showcase it within the scope of this crime saga. And, uh, you know, it's it's maybe a movie you could have set somewhere else, set it in Chicago or something, but the fact that it's here and that it uh, showcases the city the way it does, it's, it's, it is always and forever my number one L.A. film. Nice. Miami um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Miami I... Nice I also I one thing I love about man as an L.A. filmmaker is that he just gets locations right and geography and he's very meticulous about place, um, which you could which obviously you see in collateral. But um, yeah, he uh, it, it, again and we've been talking about this a lot, like these filmmakers kind of grappling with their adopted homeland and what is underneath the glossy exterior so i i mean what what else is there to say about heat it's just a perfect movie it's especially with this group <laughs> I know, <laughs> yeah. right? um, collectively there is some there's some stuff out there between the three of us <laughs> yeah, go, go do some research You'll right. yeah. it um the the one thing that I, i'll just say before i bounce um specifically on the locations of heat is for the longest time um because it's so uh, almost like mythical in its structure that the way that Los Angeles is depicted, it almost doesn't feel like Los Angeles. It doesn't resemble that kind of tropey thing that a lot of people do that like, you know, and I love this about Michael Bay, but like in bad boys that, that Miami sign, it's like, this is in Miami. Okay guys, it's in Miami. And we're like, yes, it's in Miami. And so many filmmakers get lured by all of those familiar places of Hollywood um, for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it's, it's more just about showcasing, you know, Hey, we made this movie in LA, et cetera. We've got to, we've got to get our, our grant from the city um, uh, or reward the fact that we've been allowed to film in a certain place. But I love that it doesn't depict in LA. Like I, the, the one image is like Drucker standing in the middle of frame and behind him is like a mound of sulfur as an image that I think of a lot in heat. And I'm like, where is that? Like, I know they're in, like, I know they're in LA, 
And it was a, um, a mutual friend of Chris and I, Garth Franklin from Dark Horizons was like, Blake, that's like an hour and 10 minutes south of downtown. Like, and I remember he plotted it out on a map. This is what oh, I wow. do with my friends in my spare time. Um, but mm. we, he plotted out, he's like, that's an hour and 10. And we were trying to like do some triangulation of heat locations. But like just the fact that, you know, a, a, a desolate wasteland of a former drive-in and Drucker standing there and then you know, um, even, even these, you know, beautiful, miraculous shots of these like stilt houses that don't quite feel like the Hollywood Hills. They feel like LA is an ocean of lights. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think everything about it, it makes you feel like it, you're so there. It's the kind of like, um, and absolutely no shade because another action masterpiece, um, especially on mute is mission impossible Two. Um, it's like the Sydney in mission impossible Two is not the Sydney that you see in something, um, uh, like Mr. In Between, or like a really terrific FX show where you kind of get in the nooks and crannies of what Australia is and Australian suburbia is. Um, it's kind of like here's Flash, here's a opera house, here's the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And like not every city is that. And so I can imagine, especially you guys as, you know, LA natives, like now, like you're living in LA and like movie LA is not the LA that you live every day. So that's what I think yeah. heat is like a secret. And people yeah. are like, how the hell did he do this. And then that's just, it, it, it kind of helps you pique your interest into the layers of the dedication and obsession that is, you know, um, almost like typifies everything that Michael Mann does. I just want to quote Michael, our buddy, Michael, uh, buddy this Mike. is a, an interview he did with uh, Mike Fleming last year. I just became fascinated with LA and realized I didn't know anything. I'd been living in LA since 71. It's now 94. When I started out, when I, when he started out on heat, it was like 23 years. And I realized I didn't know anything about LA. Everybody I know in LA doesn't know anything about LA. It's not just me. They don't know about the Samoan community in San Pedro. They don't know about the Caribbean little section of South central. They don't know that there's this whole range of bars that are Mexican bars, but only people from Sinaola go there. And everybody wears the same kind of cowboy hat and has the same kind of keychain. drives white pickups with Brahma bulls on the door. It's so rich and so diversified. And it's something that no one's really commented on in heat. You're not in this cultural self-imposed ghetto of driving through Los Angeles of myth. If you live on the West side or Malibu drive down sunset, here's the strip. Here's this, here's that same restaurants, everything else. That's not LA at all. It's the people who are fascinating. And then the subculture and the diversity. I love diversity. I love the diverse culture. I've always had extremely diverse film crews. I'm bored about being around people who just look like me. Michael Mann. (laughs) <laughs> what a man. I think you can see his curiosity in all of his films about LA or any place where he's like, I'm really curious about this bar or this neighborhood or this person. Like he, it, it's a, it's a loving curiosity and wanting to know more and wanting to depict it, which I really respect and appreciate about him. Totally. Let's well, uh, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you get back to your, yeah, whose podcast your is this tens. anyway? It's yours. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> I love you both. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Thank you, Blake. Good to see you, buddy. Thank you. Peace. Blake Howard, everybody. So that is our uh, sort of ultimate LA movie guy, but let's not leave it there. Let's do a lightning round. What are, what are some movies that didn't make your list that we didn't talk about here? Because I've certainly got a little list here. Okay. So I did have like a, a total B team. Um, uh, some of them we've already talked about. Chinatown, LA Confidential, those movies. I'm really sad that I didn't get, I mean, to live and die in LA. Love that movie so much. William Peterson. Oh my God. So hot in that movie. Um, uh, point break, uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. 
what the hell what where is blade runner uh die hard the thing about Blade Runner is what LA is that? It's not. Any I know LA, I that's know. true. I guess <laughs> I just whenever hard. it's rainy and misty in LA and I and I'm driving at night, I'm just like, oh, it looks uh, so yeah. Blade Runner right now. Yeah. Die Hard again. I think maybe because Die Hard is just in one place. <laughs> great Century City movie. Yeah, Great Century <laughs> City movie. Also Barbie. Great Century City movie. <laughs> um, I uh, Double Indemnity. I guess I was just thinking of some of like the famous locations. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I had yeah. on my list. Uh, yeah. I also have this really weird Paul Mazursky movie, Alex in Hollywood, which stars Donald Sutherland as a screenwriter sort of avatar for Paul Mazursky. And um, it's in L.A. in the 70s. And it's very weird. A lot of it does not hold up, but it's very mm -hmm. evocative of the time period. There's some like wildly offensive stuff that doesn't hold up, but um, it's a interesting it's such an obscure little movie and then also i just want <laughs> this there's a crazy sort of b movie exploitation movie called van nuys boulevard about have you ever seen van nuys boulevard no i saw that on your list i didn't know what it was it's like about people um cruising on van nuys boulevard in the valley and they and they cruise almost exclusively in vans <laughs> and vans on van eyes vans on van eyes and it is like it, it's one of these wacky curios of um uh i can't even describe it as like a good movie it's just a very strange movie that you would probably find on vhs somewhere and it has like a theme song where the 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 chorus just goes van eyes um hopefully i didn't speak here <laughs> fantastic audio recording there but it actually sounded good there's uh it's a very weird movie so seek that out if you can it's like basically like a 70s exploitation movie so fans on van nuys isn't there like a keys on van nuys like jingle about like some auto yeah there is a something keys, on van nuys keys, yeah keys on van nuys or am i just making <laughs> yeah. that up and anyway, yeah then i just those... had a, at the other ones that i mentioned like sunset boulevard and point break but i've already mentioned those so Anyway. All good, and it's hard to get them all on there for it's me. It's hard to get them all. I mentioned Volcano, uh, an ambulance, also Drive. I mean, you got to bring up yeah. Drive. Uh, I mean, yeah. He's clearly inspired by Michael Mann on that. Um, I haven't seen L.A. Story in a long time, uh, so I don't know if yeah, that would have ultimately same. popped on here or not. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of on the nose. But there's also stuff like Grand Canyon and Shortcuts, like these big ensembles. Uh, you know, I didn't end up with, uh, did I? Did I? I didn't have an Altman movie. And, I don't you know, think so. It's just the way it rolled out. Um, yeah. So because I thought about um, Long Goodbye until I watched it again. And I was like, he's just in Malibu. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought about the Limey. Oh, interesting. interesting which is, choice. which is, you know. You got to kind of maybe stretch a little bit, but not really. I mean, it, it's got a lot of the thematic residue of what we've been talking about throughout, I think. There's also Repo Man, Alex Cox, which mm. I, I saw recently for the first time, actually. Uh, Weird-ass movie. I don't know that it would have like made my list, but that and this other movie, Miracle Mile. Have you seen Miracle Mile? Yes, yes. I did think about Miracle Mile. but Very interesting, similar sort of uh, dreamscape vibes on mm -hmm. both of them. There's also Taylor yeah. Hackford, Hackford's Blood In, Blood Out that I thought about, starring Carlos Carrasco, who was in Speed. I haven't um, seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen it in forever, but it's a big, uh, you know, uh, Latino gangland epic. That Oh, uh, you know, I thought about um, Allison. God, what's her? Uh, Allison Anders, Mi Vida Loca. 
Uh, yeah. Good which one. is about Echo Park and yeah. um, the Latino community there. So I, I, unfortunately, I did not get that one on there. But yeah. And one, I do want to give a shout out to Los Angeles Plays Itself, by the way. Tom Anderson's uh, big opus about how L.A. has been used in movies. But finally, I uh, wanted an excuse to use this, to put this on the list, but it just felt like a stunt. But I do think there's something to it. And that's a demolition man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Starring. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to go there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, you know, that's a fun L.A. movie. I mean, yeah, when, when sure. he goes to the museum and he's looking at like, you know, the, the yes. kind of encapsulated like riot scene. <laughs> yes. like, it's just insane. That movie is off its rocker in the best way. And I'm such a mm. fan. But, uh, you know, I'm sure know we left that, something unturned here. I'm sure someone's going to be like, what I'm, about this? I know. That's the thing. But, is like this is such an impossible list to make. But like it is fun to think about your own criteria and why you think someone who's moving to LA should watch this movie or just lives in LA should watch this movie or just is interested in like it's everybody has their own way of doing it so yeah well Michael Mann is a way to go as we exactly just start with Michael Mann <laughs> yeah yeah well uh we went long and this was epic and I so appreciate it um I think we've given everybody a pretty good overview of if they want to just jot down every movie we've talked about throughout and uh just do your own little course on LA cinema. Um, it's, it's its own unique breed. So, uh, and I think personally speed, uh, is the greatest of them all. Man, I, I yeah. don't think, I don't think I like speed more than heat, frankly. <laughs> I was going to say better Not the than dish heat. on my, uh, on the movie that I I'm dedicating a podcast to, but, uh, it would, would have been my number one if I was allowed. <laughs> since you didn't get to talk about speed much, <laughs> anything you want to say about it here before we, Oh, uh, just another really informative, a formative film for me um, just came at exactly the right time for me to just have a huge crush on Keanu Reeves, but it's such a perfectly made movie. I love Jan de Bont. I think he just understands cinematic language and sort of combines both efficiency and uh, style and over the topness in a really, in a way that I love so much and, uh, love Sandra Bullock, love everybody in that movie. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm not saying anything intelligent about it other than just like, I love it so much. And I did make my, um, class at Chapman watch speed, uh, for the last day, just so I could be like, oh, nice. this is part of your film history and you need to know it. And I am shaping young minds. So I have, have forced, you know, uh, college students to watch it and, I, I I do not regret it at all. You did your duty. Yeah, I'd had to. She's, she's preaching to the choir on that, folks. Uh, I, yeah. I think we've done enough damage. Thank you to Blake Howard for uh, dropping in here. And yes. thank you so much, Katie. Again, Katie Walsh. Uh, you should check out her podcast, Miami, if we haven't talked about it enough, <laughs> Miami Nice with Blake Howard. Uh, she's, you know, her reviews are all over the place. Uh, Tribune News, as well as LA Times. What else you want to tell us? Any any place they can find you or ought to look for you? Yeah, uh, those are the two outlets that I review for every week. I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Katie Walsh STX. So follow me there. I always share all my reviews there and just search my name on Rotten Tomatoes if you want to find any of my reviews too. So, yep. Hopefully this is delivered on its promise to be the ultimate LA movie guide. I think it has. Uh, we all know what the king is. Speed is the king. So, with that in mind, next week on 50 miles per hour. 
It's finally time to meet some of the key artisans tasked with bringing this crazy screenplay to life. Jan was the master of creating this. He knew exactly what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. It was part of the Die Hard legacy. I mean, it was that kind of movie. Jan is like, uh, we'll do anything to get the shot kind of guy. We'll get to know a number of production department heads who discuss Speed as a movie of a bygone era because they just don't make them like they used to. Every page, you earmarked the page because there was something on there for you. And you turn the page and then it says the bus does this. And it was like, boy, this is going to be a ride. And there are plenty of strong feelings to go around on this point as the film industry continues apace into the future. I can't stand the fake stuff. Like the whole business has gone in this direction that everything's on a soundstage. And I am one of those people who believe people can tell. All of that and more next week right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 Miles Per Hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHPod. I'm at Chris Tapley. That's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50MPHPodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.